0: It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagen, and attorney Ray Giudice. The
1: inaugural episode of your day in court with Bruce Hagen and Ray Giudice. My name is Tug Cowart. We're going to start out with a really timely topic, and that's the verdict in the Derek Chauvin case. George Floyd, who was uh, murdered, I guess I can say that, right, uh, officially, because the verdict has come down.
2: Absolutely. It's a death. No question at the hands of another human being. And the question was, under which statute, which subsection of our criminal defense law was, if any, was the officer going to be found guilty of it?
1: It is an interesting conversation because there's so many layers, and as we were getting ready to start the show, you guys were just volleying back and forth. And it's so fascinating to hear two renowned lawyers that show up all the time in media, radio, television, like uh, Bruce and Ray do, to talk about a case like this. What was the most interesting, compelling, fascinating part of this case as you watched it unfold.
2: Well for me as a criminal defense lawyer, the ultimate question is will your client testify? Uh, we may be jumping ahead a little bit about jury selection and things like that but to me and I've had this happen many times if you don't have your client testify and then they're convicted and punished severely, the first thing they do is file an ineffective assistance of counsel claim and say, well my lawyer should you know didn't let me testify and if they do testify, uh, no matter how much time you've prepared any client, any individual, the prosecuting attorney, in this case an extremely competent, prepared team of prosecutors, is going to eviscerate you. You just you just can't, you know, yeah. at the end of the day there's a dead body and a video of that, so you start off, you know, on your heels as a, def- as, a as a witness from the cross-examination. And again, I always tell clients and witnesses, we lawyers wrote the rules of cross the judge is going to let us do pretty much everything we want to do, and at the end of that couple hours there's going to be a little puddle yeah. <laughs> right. up there at the witness stand or a candle that's been melted. You r- Ray, you're reminding me... Uh, I, I Used to dabble in some
3: criminal cases before I became a full-time personal injury lawyer handling civil cases. But I used to joke with my clients that, look, don't worry about it because having me as your lawyer, you're automatically going to have an ineffective <laughs> assistance of counsel uh, appeal just just ready to go. Right. So, so we hope for the best, but believe me, you'll be fine if it doesn't work yeah, you gotta, out. You got you f- a back plan. But it, you know, in terms of the, you know what was interesting about it too, and Ray mentions just how how. Effective, the prosecution was in this case. We've seen some other very high-profile trials before, and you look back to the O.J. trial, where the prosecution just you know would make one bumbling mistake after another, and compare that with just how prepared this team was, ha- how on top of every last aspect of it was. Combined with the fact that number one, uh, the defense based on some of the science, you know, trying to claim that it was. An undisclosed heart disease that uh, is what killed George Floyd in combination of the drugs in his system, maybe some carbon monoxide that he inhaled from being so close to the car fumes. You know, they were just grasping at straws here with with science, and you can always find an expert. This is one thing that we all know as lawyers. You can find somebody out there who, if you're willing to pay them, will say whatever you want them to say and give you an expert, you know, I'm, I'm using air quotes now, an expert opinion on something. So the defense had somebody to say that but you know it just was so implausible and and that was reflected in the very short amount of time that the jury took to come back with guilty guilty verdict on all the charges no yeah. question
2: uh, short short knocks on the door or flashes of the jury room light as a criminal defense lawyer you're like oh no that's right. not good right <laughs> we right. want to get into day seven where we can hear people yelling in the back and throwing things and, and notes going back to the judge we don't understand the jury charge can we have a piece of evidence reread to us? You know, from the court reporter, there was none of right. that. There was not a single question to the judge on this one. I will say, interestingly enough, in watching some social media uh, about the trial, there were there were many voices that were, I wouldn't say complaining, but found that the state's presentation, the prosecutor's presentation, lacked passion. And I found that to be, you know, something that again, we as trial lawyers. Uh, and lay people would have quite a difference of opinion on uh, effective trial litigation. Trial work is, is like brick building a brick wall. Brick by brick, they're all about the same. You put the cement in them. You, you make sure they're even and level. But it has and you, to be perfect. It has to be perfect to stand, and you build that wall. And that's what the prosecution did, and as, as I think as Bruce alluded to, Once the decision was made that the defendant was not going to testify, it really limited what the defense was going to do. So what did they do? They threw up an expert to kind of give the jury, maybe you get into the battle of the experts. You know, I always, when I like a battle of the experts case, I want to get somebody on the jury that's an engineer, you know, or a a pilot. Somebody who has a very precise uh, education, but hopefully they'll take the opposite side of, of my opponent's case and argue it. To the death literally in a jury room and uh, so the prosecution was ready able and willing and that rebuttal expert that the prosecution put on just knocked yeah. the defense in the dirt
1: I got a statement that was made and I thought wow when I heard this and I, I want to get your reaction to it in the closing moments of the case you were told mr. Floyd died because he had an enlarged heart you learned during this trial mr. Floyd died because mr. Chauvin had a small heart that's like, I mean, that's, that's home run, right? I mean, a hundred percent. And,
3: and, you know, one of the, so well one written. of the hardest things to learn as a trial lawyer is, uh, that while you think you're so brilliant and, you know, you've got everything mapped out in advance, you have to listen and you have to pay attention to what happens during the course of the trial, because I, I would say in virtually every trial I've had, there's there are things that come up during the course of the trial that I bring back in the closing because that's all that really matters—what the jury hears. Let me let me just step back for a second and and you know, talk about a bigger picture than just this case. Um, Ray was saying that you know he read on social media some some criticisms that there was a lack of passion, right? And so where does that mentality really come from? Um, most people have no exposure to an actual courtroom right? correct they, their experience with courts what they see on TV and and or just the once in a while when you're selected as a juror they, they go down for jury service That's it. but but you know everybody has great movies uh, you know they, they, they see great lawyering and, and, and TV and on movies and you know they think this is what real life is that that you know in that 15 minutes you've got to give it all Put a show. And, on a show. And and while there certainly is a theatrical aspect to being a trial lawyer, um you know, realistically, that's just not what it's about. It, the name of this show is Your Day in Court, right? Your Day in Court with Ray Judice and Bruce Hagen. Bruce Hagen and Ray Judice. We flip a coin. There you um, go. Um but but the reason that matters is Ray and I have tried each at least 200 cases, right? We we we've picked Hundreds of juries. We've argued in front of hundreds and of juries. And
2: thousands of motions hearings where you're just, you know, focusing on one witness or an expert and there may be no jury. Or bench trials in my world. We do a lot of bench trials. Yeah. Mediations. And I think what Bruce is, not to cut him off, but the, there is a theatrical aspect of it, but it's in the ability to communicate, not to entertain. That's how I would break it down. And I think I think many folks or people out there want to be entertained by the trial lawyers rather than educated, and when I say educated, I mean about the facts of the case and the law, which comes from the judge, and I think they misinterpret that I'm not, uh, as a trial lawyer, banging on the table or being held in contempt or whatever it Screaming is. Screaming and hollering. Yeah, right. yeah, you know, whipping out the... And, and,
3: and, and there's a time for that,
2: and, and yes. usually it's when you know your client is very
3: badly guilty and is going to be convicted, <laughs> and it's like anything you can do to distract from from the jury looking at the client. My, my dad was a criminal lawyer in, in the Bronx, New York, where I grew up, uh, just around the corner from Ray, actually, um, but uh, he was outrageous, you know, and and
2: and he would get even more outrageous just depending on how bad the facts were against his client. Now, again, uh, and we know a lot about that culture because we were raised in it—Italian and Jewish cultures, mostly in that community. They kind of like the passion, okay? <laughs> right. So, so what plays and I, and for I taught at uh, Emory Law School as an adjunct professor in litigation for a number of years. I know you've taught at both Georgia, yeah, Georgia State, State Law School. And, you know, what plays to a jury of 12 in the Bronx, in Minneapolis, in Atlanta, are quite often Very different. totally different presentations. You know, when you watch any of the Talking Head legal shows, and I did a number of those yeah, for many Nancy years. Nancy Grace, you were on yeah, for a long time many, on many, CNN. Many court TV, and, you know, we would bring in the, the lawyer from New York versus the lawyer from Seattle, and they're totally different approaches because you've got totally different juries now. Uh, the, the one approach that's consistent is professionalism and pre- preparedness. That would be two approaches, and I'm, I know Bruce's dad did all that. But, you know, uh, if you've got a, if you've got 12 Italians with a lot of vowels in their last names, man, you better be throwing your hands around <laughs> and moving yeah. and keeping them because right. they want some action, man. Right. <laughs> that's, that's part of the case. Yeah, <laughs> no
1: doubt about it. Th- this has just been one of those cases that I can look at or I feel like I can look at and say, Bruce, the system worked.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, you know there are people out there because of dogmatic uh, opinions and feelings and political views will say that it didn't work because of the outcome, and and uh, there are people who, if the verdict had been the other way around, would say that as well. Uh, but you know the reality is th- this this is a you know a trial is the end product of a judicial process, and and Ray mentioned all the things that happened beforehand from motions and and rulings by the court and jury selection, and everything that went into it to get to that end result. And so, yeah, the system worked exactly the way it was supposed to. In this case, you know, you never know what you hear in public day-to-day and, and certainly on the Internet, how much of that is actually going to get in front of a jury uh, with the evidence that's presented at trial. But in this case, it was enough, and it, and it was on point, and it seemed to match up with, with the evidence that we all knew about as as uh, bystanders just...
2: just hearing it play out over the course of the last year in the media as as also as a member of the profession i think the judge ran a tight ship the trial moved along pretty quickly uh for a for a sensational case uh involving a you know emotional death of a of a young man and an officer and all the elements that were involved they picked that jury They, they did their opening statements witnesses were called there was one slight appeal, I think, and, and the case moved ver- as as justice should happen smoothly and give the jury the case on time.
3: Yeah, and, and it's likely that there will be some issues brought up on appeal, uh, but as it turns out, the one real hiccup, uh, seemingly, had nothing to do with anything that was in the courtroom, had to do with their representative of Congress making a statement.
1: Yeah, which we, we can get into that, too, in the next segment, because I think sentencing is going to be an interesting topic. Let's bring back in that, that uh, conversation about appeals, especially as uh, this case kind of unfolds as we're doing this show live. You're listening to Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3, Atlanta's only conservative news and talk
0: station.
4: Wade Ford, we are Atlanta's Ford dealer.
0: This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063.
1: Welcome back. Your day in court is the show and Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice are the experts that we're talking about legal issues that are happening in the world that we live in. We're going to stay on the Derek Chauvin trial now because there's so many layers to it. In the opening segment, we talked about some of the issues that went on, some of the things that happened, how justice was served. But let's go back and talk about a couple of other things, like sentencing. How do you see, Bruce, that coming down?
3: Well, sentencing's is an interesting process. And, um, you know, there will be guidelines in the state of Minnesota based on the crimes that he's convicted of, and then you're going to have opportunities for a judge to consider where within those guidelines to go, or even to exceed in either direction of what the guidelines are. So the prosecution, I expect, will ask for a sentence that goes beyond just the recommendations that are there in the state guidelines, claiming that this individual's behavior was so heinous that it justifies a departure upward from the, from those numbers. Um, what the defense can do will will be, to, of course, argue for the low end of the spectrum, even a departure to go lower than that. And this is likely, I think, Ray can speak more to this, to be the one time you're going to hear Derek Chauvin speak on the issues. And And it's not that he's going to be questioned, but he'll be allowed to make a statement. And typically the statement is, one of apology and one of contrition and and something to try to just argue that, you know, while he has no prior criminal history to speak of, to point out that this was a horrible moment in an otherwise clean life that shouldn't justify the worst and most severe penalties imaginable?
2: Well, I think part of it's going to be, does he and his legal team, number one, think they have meritorious appellate issues? If the legal team really thinks they're going to overturn this conviction on appeal, it is probably not consistent with him testifying in mitigation for sentencing, because that can run counter. You know, you're going to take some of the steam out of the appellate process if you essentially say, I'm sorry for what I did. I didn't mean to kill him, but I see what happened, you know, and and, and I I shouldn't have done it. So that's a problem. If he's ever going to speak, now's the time. If he's convinced and his legal team is convinced that he's going to get somewhere, I think the maximum, even with deviation, is 40 years to serve. And you're trying to say, look, if you're ever going to do less than 40, now's your time to speak up. As counsel, what I have done on that is I have my client write down their comments first and then i'm not going to say we edit them but we stri- review them We review them. yeah we counsel with them this is a not but that's a good what word. a good lawyer yes. would
1: do right. i mean I, that's what me if i if i'm in that position that's what i want my uh, lawyer those, doing those words me. are
2: going to have enormous meaning of each course. and every word and of course it's it's being presented to a judge it seems like a very intelligent gentleman who's experienced and i've had judges turn 180 degrees in sentencing, on one word or phrase that's come out of either the prosecutor's mouth or the midi- or, or or the defendant's mouth or their mitigation witnesses, you know, he's going to call some people that are going to come up and say, you know, he saved my son, he pulled him out of a burning car, he's been a great role model at the police benevolent association. He, he coaches little league uh, or Abston, whatever. You know, there's going to be somebody with a. A, a person of faith, a member of a faith community that's going to come and say wonderful things. I mean, there's no question that that's the defense team. They probably, I'm sure, been working on that for many months, you know, in anticipation. But if he's going to speak, he needs to have a prepared statement, and he needs to start off with an apology and in a sense of, uh, I, you know, this. I'm so sorry this happened. My heart goes out to the Floyd family, members of the community. He needs to start with that before he starts splaining himself, right. <laughs> you know, as Ricky used to say to Lucy. And and because the judge is going to say, sir, the jury has ruled. We're not relitigating this matter, okay? It's not a trial. It's not his time to put up his defenses. It's his, it's his opportunity to s- express sorrow, remorse, sadness, and, and maybe to just give a little bit of his state of mind now, which he didn't do during the trial, as to why this went so poorly. Uh, of course, the, the prosecution will be ready and you know on all, on the t- balls of their feet to pounce on anything he says, and perhaps even call some witnesses to counter that. Uh, I don't know, and it did not come out in trial uh, that there were many prior bad run-ins with this officer, but you may hear some of that at, at sentencing. Yeah. I, I think he had
3: a, a history with some disciplinary issues within yeah. the department, but but. Nothing else that uh, resulted in any sort of charges. Correct. I, I kind of wonder what Derek Chauvin's um, prison experience is going to be like. I wonder uh, that
1: too. Where will he be?
3: Right. Yeah, and and you know, certainly everybody has their ideas of what prison life is like, and and Ray and I have seen some of it when we go and visit. But even there, we're protected from the general population. Uh, but you know, there's a generally there's a gang presence. There's a, a certainly. Uh, factions within the, within the prison and and you're going to have your folks who may consider Derek Chauvin a hero uh, behind bars um, that are your white supremacist neo-nazi groups you're, you're going to have folks back there who look at him as as enemy number one for what he's done to to this uh, black man but you're also going to have folks who are on any uh, end of the spectrum who's like hey I don't care what who he is what he is that's a cop and, and a cop behind bars Um, you know, is is going to have to deal
2: with a lot of issues that the rest of the world doesn't. No question. He's going into the state system, not not the county system, because the sentence will exceed a year. As Bruce correctly points out, every state prison system and in every prison, there's all kinds of gangs, uh, Mexican gangs, Asian gangs, African-American gangs, Aryan nation gangs. You also are going to have some of the correction officers who are law enforcement who may be somewhat split on how this trial came out, where they themselves are routinely challenged by the inmates and routinely have to use force to protect themselves or to control the crowd. You know, that may send a a sort of a shiver down their spine a little bit. I would suggest that he is going to have to work very hard for his safety because the other aspect of this is there going to be some 19-year-old kid who got life and has nothing to look forward to that decides he wants uh, to make a name for himself and to attack this gentleman (laughs) i use the term loosely so
1: but i I would think that this stuff is already being thought out the court system probably knows where they're going to place this man because of all these things that you've brought up that's not necessarily true no Uh, okay in, in
2: georgia how it works is if you're sentenced to anything more than a year you go down to one of two classification and diagnostic centers. One is called Jackson in Jackson, Georgia. The other Mm -hmm. is called Coastal, just outside of Augusta. There, there's a whole team of people that measure things like criminal history, education level. We have a prison in the state of Georgia that's just for medical folks that have that have se- some significant of, medical yeah, right, problems okay. or handicaps. Right, We have youthful offenders. We have senior citizens that are in custody. So there are different jails for different people. There is a gen pop. I mean, it's not totally your demographic, so he's not going to be in a jail with 500 other 43-year-old white <laughs> police officers, <laughs> right. okay? Yeah, yeah, so, okay, yeah of course. So, but uh, there's going to be some dis- consideration to that, but that has not been thought out yet. That's he hasn't been sentenced yet, and it's not the judges. Now, in federal court, the judge can play a significant role and what type of facility a defendant goes to after sentencing but generally not in the state courts like that's, the Martha Stewart thing that's right? exactly see, right
1: because that was a federal case and and he was able to put her in a in a country
3: club jail
2: a very nice apartment complex with a with a chain link fence around <laughs> <Right>. it <laughs> right. yeah and,
3: and so, you know as much as this may horrify some of the folks listening to this show prisoners have rights too of course and and so you know among those rights is the right not to be assaulted and stabbed while you're a prisoner now are those rights enforced. Uh, you know, I mean Ray and I get calls constantly from folks who who have claims that they're denied whether you know something or mistreated in some way while they're behind bars and they're very difficult cases. I mean it, it's it's
2: it's just not something you want to get involved with except in the most egregious of circumstances. I get 20-page handwritten letters in ink pen that say, Dear Mr. Ray, lawyer Ray, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've heard that you are the best lawyer Ray in the state of Georgia. <laughs> and there's a case out of Wisconsin in 1947 that says, you know, da da yeah. and I haven't gotten my kosher meals, and I haven't been able to use the gym, and my, you know, I can't t- call my girlfriend, and it's just complicated.
3: And, and these are guys with a lot of time on their hands, so, so they rewrite that handwritten letter and, uh, a great law
2: library, one of the best in right. the state, and they have internet access now.
3: <laughs> right, so uh, we we get those letters too, and it's it sometimes it's heartbreaking, but it's you know it, it's rare that there's anything you can do about it. But you know, prisoners do have rights, and and as they should, and you know, of just course. you're convicted of something, you did something wrong. But we are a civilized society,
2: and, and that includes the way we treat our prisoners. But there's a prison warden in the state of Minnesota right now who's saying, "Please not me, please not me. I got enough. <laughs> I, right. I, I got draw. enough problems. I've I don't want to draw that." COVID, I've got gangs, I've got a limited budget. I've got you know folks that are trying to defund law enforcement. <laughs> I mean, that's not a good job. It's a hard job to have. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, and it's a and, good at,
3: job. and at the same time, you know, we, we're all familiar. Uh, anybody certainly uh, my age and Ray's age grew up watching Beretta. You know, I mean, don't that's do right. the crime if you can't do the time. <laughs> right. and, and and you know, Bernie Madoff, his his lawyers tried to get him uh, released from jail because he was he had a medical condition that was uh, going to result in the end of his life, which and
1: which happened uh, a right, couple but, weeks ago. But
3: a year prior to that when his lawyers were trying to say, please let Mr. Madoff out, he's dying. Judge said, sorry, you're yeah. gonna spend the rest
2: of your life in jail, which is what uh, your sentence was, and he died in jail. Generally, you see those compassion releases by the system when the medical care is gonna cost the system a lot of money. I've had several cases where I've had clients call me, yeah, they pushed my dad, who's dying of cancer, out the door, <laughs> and <laughs> right. said, "Here, he's your problem. We're not gonna, we're not gonna take care of him. Or it's gonna cost us too much money." And, and it's a huge medical care within the prison system. And again, it says this may not be on anybody's top of their concerns, but it is a concern. And just like we've said, uh, you know, you may be sentenced to stealing a car, okay? And they got the car back, and nobody was really hurt, but some judge gave you two to three years in prison because maybe before doesn't mean you should be assaulted. No, of course doesn't not. It doesn't mean you should have all and your that teeth knocked out. And that goes for Officer Chauvin, too? Uh, absolutely. He should do his, whatever time, he should do his time. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, pay his penalty to society. And, uh, you know, it, uh, we were talking about appeal before, and, and we were talking about Congresswoman Waters' comments that even the judge did comment on, that it may be fertile, While well, he did not grant a mistrial, that it might be fertile grounds for appeal. And, and it brought me to say, well, Judge, why didn't you sequester the jury? You knew this wasn't going to take that long. And in the history of complicated cases, this went pretty smoothly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Get the jury. It's 12 jurors plus one or two alternates. Get the hotel. There's lots of hotel rooms in downtown (laughs) Minneapolis. Uh, You need the same security. And why not protect them from these outside comments, news forces? Because here's what I predict can happen or may happen. One of these jurors is going to go on a talk show and say something. Yeah, you know, I was talking to my neighbor about the case, and I didn't, you know, brought in some outside information. Or influence. Influence. And then we're going to have a hearing, and the judge is going to say, well, did that impact the outcome of your your decision? Or did you bring that information into the jury room outside of what we told you to do, and you violated your oath? And that may be fertile grounds for an appeal.
1: You're listening to Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice. My name is Tug Cower, talking about the uh, Derek Chauvin case. So how do you see that? Is Will there be, I don't know, changes in sentencing? Could that be something when they go for an appeal for the officer, which I, I think, Ray, you said you've already said that they're going to do that. There is a, an appeal. Oh, there will absolutely be an appeal because, I mean, it's it's just, automati- yeah, absolutely. It's automatic, yeah. So do you see that being an issue because the judge didn't sequester the jury?
3: Yeah, it could be. You know, like one of the things that every juror, every person who's ever served on a jury has heard this at the end of the day before they come back the next day. When you go home, do not attempt to do any research about this case. Do not um, look anything up or try to do your own fact finding. The only facts that you're allowed to consider is what we have vetted as being appropriate and, and in compliance with our standards of what is considered admissible evidence in court. And if you start looking elsewhere, for facts or information you're tainting yourself as a juror and that would be improper and they also say don't talk to anybody about it don't don't, um, don't go to the scene sizzle. don't go to the scene and do your own investigation mm-hmm. you know the only information you're supposed to receive is what you get within the confines of that courtroom because that's the only place where the judge can make sure that the evidence that's presented is that it is fair it's, right. it's vetted but
1: that seems like it would be impossible even if you didn't even if you listened If you flip on the TV and you're watching ESPN, there's a ticker at the bottom. There's no way to not be influenced.
2: So I tried my first jury trial as a baby prosecutor, DeKalb County, Georgia, June of 1985. Before Al Gore had invented the Internet, before there was a cell phone, before there was, I don't know, there was even cable television at the time. The, The sources of information were newspapers, so a judge could make sure that the newspaper wasn't in the jury room. The judge could tell folks, "Don't go home and look this up on the Encyclopedia Britannica," <laughs> and it was much easier—not perfect, but a much easier system to control the witnesses Jur- or jurors. They weren't texting the people in the jury box. Okay, they weren't, right, <laughs> they weren't right. taking pictures
3: with their cell phones. Yeah. And now that when you have the entire world of information at your fingertips uh, in your phone fo- on your phone. You know, everything is out there and everybody is an amateur sleuth. And, and and you know, that comes up, of course, how did you even find 12 um, people impartial. who didn't have an opinion already on, on this case and were willing to just be fair and impartial, you know, to, to think that you're going to find 12 people who didn't know anything about this, As, especially in Minneapolis, right? Where, you know, where Minneapolis burned for weeks, right? And Minneapolis was
2: destroyed uh, and, and so you, you're not going to find people who don't know about it. Each morning, as the jurors came to court, they went to a fortress, <laughs> right? Okay. Right. The, the the national guard, wire, barbed wire fencing, plywood, cement barriers. Mm. I, I guess they somebody knew something was going on. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what's this about? <laughs> yeah.
3: so, so you know, it, it's it's a similar thing of like, all right, well, maybe you have. Twelve people who have such a lack of intellectual curiosity to begin with that maybe they're not going to pull their phones out. You know, I've never just... met one. <laughs> right, but you know, somehow or another, we you know they found them and they found them in one day. It seemed right. It was election. pretty it quick jury selection. That was pretty quick.
1: But don't you think though that the, the defense, when they go, when it comes to sentencing or when it comes to the appeal, that they're going to use all this, and and how can it not make some sort of difference in what happens moving forward?
2: The problem is that the judge will bring all these jurors back and one by one. Did you hear about this comment? Did that impact your verdict? No. I heard about it, but it didn't matter to me. Did you all talk about it? Nope. We stuck to the facts. I mean, no one wants to be the juror. That, that is held in contempt, technically. Right. Could be, or and that poison and poisoned the pool and had to retry this case, I don't think it's gonna happen. And, and
3: even if they were out of
2: self preservation. Yeah. yeah. Satellite trucks in front of your house yeah. because you said yeah. yeah.
1: That's that's a that's an interesting point. But that is that is a point that makes you go, wow, that doesn't mean that the right thing could happen here. Because of people's insecurity and fear of that
3: exact thing playing out sure and and, and you know in other respects that beyond just the issue of where any jurors tainted by by outside information there there are issues uh that are legal issues to the case that could be the subject of an appeal as well and so you know we were talking earlier about how there are pretrial motions there there are motions that come up during the course of trial to exclude a piece of evidence or allow a piece of evidence or allow an expert or a witness, and the judge's rulings on those things are, are frequently the subject for an appeal. Um, was a certain jury charge given to the jury so that they heard this is what the law is in this case or they didn't hear that sort of thing? But ultimately, the appeals courts look at these things and they have to decide was this material enough that it had an outcome or an impact on the outcome? Even if a mistake had been made in some respect, or even if some some information may have tainted a juror or juror's opinion or reached a juror, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's sufficient for them to overturn sure. the verdict. Sure, makes sense. It it it's you know there's there's harmless error uh, uh, that comes up sometimes, and so you may see that as well. And and partly it's. It's real. Partly it's like Ray says, it's an attempt to, hey, let's make this somebody else's problem and not ours.
2: Well, most lay people don't know how jury charges are selected. Uh, it's called a Charge Conference. The prosecution submits their proposed jury charges, jury instructions to the judge. The defense proposes theirs. There's many that overlap, you know, the presumption of innocence and, you know, you are only supposed to give a witness so much credibility. You're the ultimate determiner of what's truthful, things like that. Those are general propositions of the law. But then there are many specific jury instructions, especially from the defense side. That uh, good defense lawyers are going to submit a lot of jury charges because they know that the prosecution is going to object to them, forcing the judge to rule one way or another. And every jury charge that the defense submitted that the judge did not allow is grounds for an appeal now. As Bruce said, you're not entitled to a perfect trial. You're entitled to a pretty darn good <laughs> trial, <laughs> a fair yeah. trial, yeah, a fair yeah. trial. And that's yeah. what you know. The eventually the appellate courts and the Supreme Court of Minnesota will decide. Uh, but but I can assure you, there's there are lawyers that are very competent in submitting the type of jury charge that is perhaps under an evolving stage in the in the appellate courts. In other words, where well, 48 states have ruled this way. The federal courts have started to say this is what it should be, but judge, you let the prosecution put an old Minnesota law, and so that's a grounds for an appeal. Yeah, and,
3: and a lot of what defense lawyers do is to just try to create issues at trial that will be resolved on appeal. They may know that you could put this client in front of any 12 people, it doesn't matter who they are, they're gonna convict them, but if, w- but if we can create enough of an issue on appeal, and then it's gonna be reviewed on the legal issues, that's where we're going to succeed because we can't win, uh, you know, face to face on the facts, but we can win uh, on appeal. And, and and you know, one thing. So so, for those of you who haven't been through jury service before, it's a weird process in the sense that you really don't know what the rules are until the very end of this thing. And so you know, I've had it, heard it described before as like imagine you knew nothing about the game of cricket and and you go and you watch an entire three-day game of cricket being played and you see things happening and you're trying to sort through it and and then after all of a sudden they tell you okay the game is over now we're going to tell you what the rules of cricket are and what you just saw and they spend the next three hours telling you these are the rules of cricket and they like, say well it would have helped if I knew that before I started watching the game. Maybe I'd have had <laughs> right. a better understanding yeah, right. of you know right. what right. should I be paying attention to and could've followed and, it better. But that's rarely how we do it. Some progressive judges now are doing that at the front end of the trial and so they, they start to give the jury a little bit better understanding of what the law is beforehand. But realistically, until you know what was the evidence that came out at trial, the judge really can't give you the the full-on charge of what the law is because you just don't know if it's
2: even applicable to the facts that were presented in that case. That's right. And it brings up two axioms of the law. One is, if you've got good facts, argue the facts. If you've got bad facts, argue the law. Rarely do you have both as a trial lawyer. That's an interesting take, (laughs) though. But but see,
1: I think that's so fascinating as a person who knows nothing about the legal system other than I know to call you guys if I
2: get in trouble. (laughs) And one second thing is we're not picking a jury. We're getting rid of folks, and we get what's left Correct. over. And I don't mean to insult anybody, <laughs> but we are I'm well, going to get rid someone. of yeah. if I'm on the defense side in a criminal case and one of the prospective jurors' dad was career military MP, sergeant, law enforcement, probably going to say, mm, not that, thank you for your service, strike number one, Your Honor. If I've got somebody who's maybe done a little time, a misdemeanor time, or been harassed by a law enforcement officer or somebody in their family has, Judge, that witness is completely acceptable to the defense. <laughs> right. we right. make a little and, show and, and, about and
3: it. And let me just say this. So, so Ray and I didn't get to try, you know, hundreds of cases here by only trying our winners. We try we try everything, right? And so, <laughs> we you know, we, we're not undefeated. A lot of times after a trial has concluded, a judge will allow a jury the opportunity to ask questions of the lawyers if they want to do that. And, and so I had this lady one time in a case that we did not win. She looked at me and she asked me, why did you pick me to be one of your jurors? And I said to her, ma'am, I realize you may find this hard to believe, but there were actually." six people on that panel that I hated more than I hated you. <laughs> <laughs> and as much as I hated you and didn't want you as a juror, I had to get rid of those other six. Right. So it's that's very incredible. tactical, very tactical. Oh, no, sure.
1: yeah, it, it makes sense. It's so fascinating. And I think that's why you'll enjoy listening to the show or the podcast that you'll be able to get at the podcastpark.com. You'll eventually be able to get it at Spotify and Apple and Google podcasts and those places too. There's so many just facets of the legal system from the side of law enforcement and the courts and then the side of the lawyers, which is what we're talking about today. You'll get both sides on this show because these guys aren't renowned. They've been doing it a long time and they can present both sides so you understand it and make it clear. When we come back, we're going to get to justice. What does justice mean? It means something different to different people and probably depends on your perspective of what justice means but there's an actual answer and we'll answer it next here on your day in court with bruce hagan and ray judice on extra 1063 atlanta's only conservative news talk station
0: This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice on Extra 106.3. Final segment,
1: first episode of Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice. My name is Tug Cowart. This segment, we're going to focus on what is justice? We've had the trial. We've had the day in court. What is justice, fellas?
2: Well, I think as a member of the public, especially if you're in Minnesota or just care, that I think everybody should say the system moved along pretty quickly for a high profile case, this judge and both the prosecution and defense, because there's believe it or not, there are meetings that go on in chambers that are purely scheduling matters. We're not fighting about facts or witnesses. It's, you know, I've got a dental appointment or my kid's sick birthday party with my kid well that's probably not the one you bring up but but something uh, like that's a good point a
3: college graduation you know or 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 some some so so
2: i think i think the public should say hey this can work well maybe why doesn't it work well more often it was publicly displayed you know and, and now there was of course a problem with public access into the courtroom but we're in a pandemic. I mean, what are you going to do? Okay. So, so I thought that the judge did a real good job on that. And the system worked with respect to starting the trial, selecting the jury, putting up the evidence, closing arguments. Now we'll go to sentencing. Now the appeals issue, as we talked about, might be a little messier. and, And I think the public may have different opinions about that. So I think we can walk away from, there is some justice procedurally in the system and have confidence that it can work. Especially works well when the spotlight is on it, right? <laughs> the disconnect comes with the
3: public's perception of what, what they justice consider is. justice, yeah. and and so you know, for a lot of people, this concept of you know we demand justice meant a conviction, and and that's not you know the outcome is not really where you look for justice. As lawyers, we look we look to the process of, of how you got there, of what, like what was it a fair process? Was it within the constitutional limits that are set out by our federal and state constitutions and and was were things handled properly procedurally to get to that end result the end result uh if if it's made objectively by the 12 citizens of the community who were picked fairly that's justice and and that's true in the criminal system it's true in the civil justice system the the larger concept of you know is there justice for the uh, a police officer killing a black man in society you know philosophers have debated the concept of justice for thousands of years you go back to plato defining justice and trying to, to talk these things through and you know it's it's a subject of intense debate That goes way beyond just anything having to do with the legal system. But the focus on, you know, if he was not convicted of all the charges, then there's no justice. To me, that's wrong because it's it's the outcome. And, And here again, sentencing is going to be another opportunity for folks who are saying, you know, if he doesn't receive the maximum sentence, there's no justice. Or on the flip side, if he... Receives is more than it, they
1: it, they think he should get.
3: Right, it, there are people who are like, hey, this guy terribly as a police officer. Up until this one moment, he should be given every benefit of the doubt because you know I back the blue. And 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 if he's rece- if he receives the maximum sentence, then that's not justice. And and again, the focus on the outcome, I think, is an improper definition. But I understand why folks look at that. You know, what 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 is a rallying cry you hear at marches and heard at marches all summer? You heard it in the sixties. No justice, no peace. It's a bigger picture than just what is the outcome of a trial. You yeah. know, you know it, it should be at least. Yeah. yeah,
2: and how would you get someone who to define how much punishment this man should get? Uh, you know, it comes up in capital cases, you know, the death penalty. Well, does the death penalty bring back the victim? Now, no. Uh, does life imprisonment bring back the victim? It no. does not. But is that what could satisfy the general public of course over the of the centuries and over the decades those definitions change as we change as a culture and as a society as to what is appropriate punishment we're seeing the decriminalization of drug charges, of marijuana, which, you know, when we grew up, we were watching, uh, you know, black-and-white movies about the evil of ma- marijuana. Reefer Madness. Reefer Madness, you know. <laughs> now we've come to where, you you know, middle-aged housewives are going down to get their THC gummies and to, you know, have a margarita with them on Friday. And God it, yeah. bless them. And, yeah. uh, and, 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 and then,
3: you know, look, th- there's also in the civil context this same idea of, of justice, you know, the concept of trying to be made whole for whatever harm you've suffered here. And so, you know, how, how do you put a dollar amount on somebody's life? Well, you know, we saw that here during the course of this trial, uh, where there was a settlement announced during jury selection, uh, a $27 million settlement. And and so, you know, is there an amount of money that balances with a human life? How do you ever calculate that? In this case, you know, we talk about it and, and there was a $27 million verdict, 27 times George Floyd said, I can't breathe. Is that you know, how they roughly calculated th- that number, it,
2: it seems like more than just a Absolutely. coincidence, right? Well,
1: yeah, it can't be a coincidence. But
2: if we were in trial on, let's say, an auto-wreck case and our client was killed in the accident and the other side was clearly at fault and now we're trying to prove damages, the value of the life, well, now we're into almost a, a mechanical, it, it's it's somewhat of a concern as a, as a trial lawyer to try to explain to the family Well, number one, we have to look at the age and the life expectancy, so that's a number. Then we've got to look at past earnings and future earnings. That's a number. We've got to look at what dependents will need or or to take care of them. So it's, you know, you're getting out, literally getting out a calculator to make a presentation to a jury. Now, of course, there's pain and suffering and there's punitive damages, and those are, you know, a little more fuzzy. But... I don't know that there was any math done aside from what you point out, which I think is, you know, if if you're a plaintiff, why an lawyer, observation? That's that's just a fantastic argument. I mean, how many times have we tried to say, well, let's put a number on how many times she had to go to the doctor, or physical therapy, or you know recovering from surgery wondering if she'd ever be able to walk properly again and and how do you put a clock and a dollar on that so it's very difficult it's impossible it's impossible i think
3: yeah and it and it's a challenge for jurors to have to do it and and certainly uh this is why cases do tend to settle uh, even though we're ready to to make these arguments in court um i know the lawyers who are involved representing the family of George Floyd and and they're excellent and and this is uh, the sort of case that unfortunately they've built practices on because it, it happens so frequently, um, and I know they would uh, much appreciate living in a world where they didn't get called upon to have to argue these cases. Um, but you know, the, the the issue we were talking about appeals issues earlier. Um, you know, this issue of the timing of the settlement and the way it was announced may very well be something that comes up on appeal too because you know on day two of the trial there was a very public announcement of this twenty seven million dollar city between city of Minneapolis and the family of George Floyd is that something that these jurors were aware of is that something that influenced them one way or the other you know and on the one hand it might be well they're admitting they did something wrong why else would they pay this amount of money that must mean that Derek Chauvin did something wrong that could influence them that way it could also influence folks the other way you know The family received $27 million. They've gotten their justice now. Um, There's nothing more that they're going to gain from a conviction here, and so maybe I won't convict. Obviously, that's not what the result is Yeah, that's not what happened, yeah. But I would
2: submit that the civil settlement will not be part of the sentencing conversation. It's completely irrelevant, and I don't think the judge will listen to it no matter who brings it up.
3: Right, right. It's more more something that could come up on appeal. Appeals, yes. and, and, you know, the, the, the raising arguments on appeal, there's no downside to throwing it out there. The worst sure. to tell you is it's yeah, yeah, sure. not an issue. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Fascinating conversation, and I appreciate you guys sitting down and discussing it today. We'll do it every week here on Extra 106.3. It is your day in court with Bruce Hagen and Ray Judicek. Quickly in this last minute, in case folks need your help, In case folks need your expertise when it comes to the law,
3: how can people get a hold of you? It's really not hard. If you are in a car wreck or have a personal injury claim, it's easy to find me, Bruce Hagen, H-A-G-E-N, Hagen-Law.com. I'm on Twitter at PeepsLawyer.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I have a phone number at my office, 404-522-7553. If you can't find me, it's because you're not really looking. <laughs> that's right, right?
2: I'm um, pretty much the same, Ray Giudice, and it's G-I-U, D as in David, I-C. And for years, no one could produce it until Teresa Giudice right. <laughs> appeared <laughs> on The Housewives of New Jersey. Right. And uh, 404-964-4185, that's my cell number, com.
1: Easy to find us, easy to get help if you need it. Interesting conversations every week on your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice here on Extra 106.3, Atlanta's only conservative news and talk station.